mom passed away in Hawaii.
where we are condemned. Why? What do we do? We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. And that's, that's, that's all we have to do. That's all there is. And so when we look at that, he's asking these questions right on, on, on the bottom of, of, of 8. It says, uh, and I sort of missed on some of this the last time. Um, how will he, I'm backing up to verse maybe 30, see, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he all, all, not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's a question. How, how, how will he not give us all? We're still in the courtroom. How will he not give us all things? We've gone from having a penalty to having all things. And he's asking this question to the guys that are standing there, both saved and believing, and those who are not believing, asking the same question. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? These are a lot of questions here. So Paul asks the questions too. It's okay if we ask questions. Christ, Jesus, who died? Who is he that condemns? Is this an answer here? Christ, Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and it's also interceding for us. He's the one who condemns question. Because it's a question. I'm not sure he's answering the entire thing here. A lot of times Paul leaves it a little bit un, un, unanswered. But when you go to the last part of the chapter, if we jump to 35, who shall separate us from this love of Christ. Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, goes back to Isaiah. And this is a point here that cannot be lost with chapter 9. For your sake, we face death all the day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Still in the courtroom. But I think he's dropping the hint. He's talking about Israel. Because this is Isaiah speaking. I'm not mistaken. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons. Did you notice the, lit, the extreme opposites, the limits to these two diametrically opposed concepts, death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God as Jesus. I digress a little bit. And Paul also is digressing here. What does he say? 
He's not speaking the truth. I have great sorrow. Listen to that digression. I have great sorrow that I'm a Jew that had all these things. We had it all. We had everything from... And it goes down and listen. The people of Israel. Adoption as sons. Theirs is the divine glory. The covenants. They had all these things. The receiving of the law. They received the law. was written in stone. It was twice written in stone and handed to them. Exodus 33 or 4. Somewhere in there he did the second copy. And what do we find in the ark? copy of the law. It hasn't gone away here. But Paul is saying in chapter 9, 10, and 11. You'll see it later. In 9, he's looking at the past. He's looking backwards. It's kind of interesting because he looks back and he says, I used, I was a Jew. He looks chapter 10. The Jews presently today, in his day, now not our day, in his day. And in 11, he looks at the future of Israel. So when you, when you kind of get the context here, Paul's going into a discussion about one thing. The Jews came. They brought salvation. They brought Jesus. They brought the plan of God. They brought the whole thing to us. No one else did. Egypt's gone. Syria's gone. Assyria's gone. All these nations. Rome is gone. It's not right at the moment here. We know. All of these powers have been dispersed. They're gone. Still, this book here stands. God stands. His kingdom he built is standing right now. About a third of the earth is his kingdom. Don't see the power of that because it's silent. It's humble. God doesn't pat himself on the back so loud we hear the pews rattling. We don't hear. We hear only the word of God. Quietly, divinely, still standing. So I get excited about that sometimes. Too excited sometimes. But it's still standing. It's right there. It's not going anywhere. It's lasted 2,000 years. How long did Egypt? Power of the world. Well, it's still there. They're partially Christians now. Iran is the fastest growing Christian country in the world. Not the biggest, but the fastest growing. In this, in this is it's a digression. Paul says, I wish I could sacrifice myself for all these people. All these people should come to Christ. I looked up some of the historical on this. Where did Jerome? Jerome was, I think, a lawyer. I think Jerome did the Vulgate. Wrote the Vulgate. But part of it, anyway. He is about third century. Third or fourth century. But he's a little later. And he's looking back at the patriarchs. The people who, like Josephus' day, and some of those people, what was going on with the Jews? They were scattered throughout the world. 
they were they were in the diaspora. We're going to stop for a minute. The Jew, Jewish people were always under destruction. Historically. Always. They were born, the nation of Israel was born in destruction. Almost. They were slaves. A lot of them. They had a lot of trouble. They had a fight to get into the promised land. Abraham says, where's this land you're talking about? There was a lot of things that did not go right with Israel, but it was still God's plan. These people, this is a replacement theology. God isn't getting rid of these people. God has not failed, even though He asked that question. God has not failed. No. He has brought us this great plan of salvation. He has brought it down through the ages with the strong arm of the Lord to us. He has brought it. The word is still here. Isaiah was found in a cave back in 47 or 46 in Qumran. Intact. And it validated the Old Testament in a lot of ways. But this is the plan. God's bringing. He's spread these people out all over the world. It is His plan. It's divine. These people have a purpose. Jewish people, they're under fire right now. We're witnessing. We're witnessing. Uh, I don't know what we're witnessing. I can't characterize it, but it's a micro, a micro second in time, so to speak, in God's time of the Israel nation. And they're all infiltrated throughout the world and Paul is saying, if only I could do something about it. He doesn't mean to give up Christ, even though he says, uh, I have great sorrow and increasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish, I could, if I wanted to, wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. He doesn't really mean that. He's trying to say, if I could, if I could do something, it would require that or greater to do anything, but it can't. So he's brought this great idea to the Gentile people. And at this time, Jerome speaks of it. There's more Gentiles. They're outnumbering the right line. I know there was 4,000, there were 5,000 people during the first part of Acts when the Holy Spirit came down. Which sounds like a lot. Remember, all of Rome was Christian at one point in time. Not standing open, made all Christians. I mean, there's a lot more Christians building up, and Paul senses that. And that the Jewish people have rejected, rejected over and over and over. There's still, there's a sense that during this time, Paul is sensing that they've rejected him and his message the gospel message. And so, I think Bodie Balcom said it best. And sometimes we forget it. Um, in the process, I'll come back to some of the historical on this as well, but in the process 
Bodhi Balcom says there is nothing beyond the gospel. Nothing. Oh yeah, well, they say you've got the gospel and now you need to you got need to learn how to be a disciple, you need to learn how to do something else. You need enough. No, no, the gospel's it. That's all there is in the gospel. There's it. Bodhi Malcolm says the gospel is not just the two great commandments. This comes from D.A. Carson. Not just the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. That's going back to the law. That goes back to the law. And the law cannot, it's all saved. cannot save you. It's Christ who saved you. And a lot of them are saying this today. Go back to the the first, the greatest commandments. No, Bodhi Bhattam goes on. He says in three, number three, the um, gospel is not the moral teachings of Jesus. To say this is to say that all the moral teachings of Jesus found in the gospel was given because God's law was somehow not good enough, not ethical enough, or effective enough. So Jesus gave new laws. See the fallacy of this? That somehow Jesus gave new laws to follow because the problem wasn't us. It was God. That is the truth. The gospel is the only message. We're saved by grace. We are saved by this great plan. This whole developing plan of God and His love for us. There wasn't anything else but the gospel then or now. We can't change it. It's interesting. And Paul sort of, in a roundabout way, making a solid argument here to say Israel stays. Israel isn't going. Israel's was here. It's here now. And will be here in the future. Also. It's not replacement theology. It sounds kind of like the church replaced Israel, but it's not. It didn't. It's just a different time. We're in this microcosm of the second, looking at the kingdom of God being built by Christ. And we kind of stop for a minute and think, well, um, Israel's gone. Kind of a myopic or a, you know, we have to zoom out to see what God's law is really all about. Listen to the Exodus uh, 33, 19. And the Lord said, I will cause my all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence, he's talking to Moses. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Here. So interesting. So we get into the doctrines of predestination. No, I'm just kidding. Relax. <laughs> I can't do that. But there's a great perspective on it. There's a great perspective on this that's really 
seconds. I'm not. Um, and I don't think the perspective is easy to to actually point out. Um, we know that from Paul that the whole human race was due to construction by either destruction by either each of their individual sins. God could condemn all people, but he could also reach down and scoop up these doomed souls to provide pride for his son. The answer we search for in election is to best put in a question. When we look around at better people than us, question is, why did he choose me? Why did Jesus choose me? That's the perspective. And it's uh, one that I think is being asked in this courtroom where they're sitting. On the one side, and the other side is looking across and saying, he's worse than I am. Why am I condemned? This, this perspective is the mystery of God. And it can't be answered. Uh, it can't be so easily answered. Jerome states, when he's talking, and I, just, uh, I don't know if this is, this is a perspective he gives. Uh, the Jewish remnant is comes from. Let me back up because there's two other scriptures. The Jewish remnant is in another scripture. Isaiah 10:22. Though your people be like the sand of the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. Destruction has been decreed, overwhelming and righteous. The remnant is talked about. Another one is Isaiah 1.9. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, it's talking about the Israel people, we would have become like Sodom, we would have become or been like Gomorrah. So Rome, looking back, reading Josephus says this, if we read Josephus and what a great multitude of people there was in Jerusalem and in Judea when the Lord suffered His passion, we understand that hardly a few from among the Jews have been saved in the persons of the apostles and the apostolic men. He really cut that short. There's four or five thousand, as we know, in, the, in Acts that came. But did they totally believe? He sort of short-circuiting that a little bit. Says the Jewish remnant held on to the old ways and Christianity, even though found in Jerusalem, the place of the gospel, is in opposition. Opposition. Let me read. I'm not getting this clear. 
the Jewish remnant, remnant held on to the old ways. And Christianity, even though found in Jerusalem, the place of the gospel, it's still in opposition to Sinai, the place of the law. That was written by Jerome in good 1600, 1700 years ago. Yet these people, the Jews, are distinctively indestructible and dispersed and reunited on purpose. They're dispersed and reunited on purpose. It began its existence in destruction, like I said. Its distinctive, unique character has survived intact. This unique people has not been absorbed into the cultures of the world. It's still Israel. You're a Jew, you're a Jew, you're a Jew. God maintained this nation. They haven't been assimilated, assimilated in the sense they're so Jewish. Not losing their characteristics of the Jewish. Throughout the world, to show the whole world God. And because of that, they point to the gospel message. Whether they believe in it or not, the Jewish nation has not been replaced by the church. They have God's favor, nothing else. They still are the church. And I think Revelations. 17, the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water of life so McDonald asked the question how can God choose individuals to belong to himself and at the same time make a bona fide offer salvation to all people everywhere. Let me read that again. This is McDonald, one of the commentators of Romans. He says, how can God choose individuals to become or belong to himself and at the same time make a bona fide offer of salvation to everybody? Everybody. The answer is we cannot reconcile these two truths, their doctrines, because they are in direct conflict. McDonald goes on to say we should believe both doctrines. These are true. And realize the difficulty is in our minds, not in God's logic. It's difficult for us to understand. The point is that God's foreknowledge would be considered determinative. And so it means God would also elect folks to destruction. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Nowhere is in found in the Bible that the Bible does not teach divine reprobation. Divine reprobation. Individual. And never chooses anyone to be dead. God says he doesn't want none to perish. Right. Okay. Thank you. So 
It's your choice whether to believe or not. Okay? Exactly. What, what did Paul and Silas say to the Philippian jailer when he asked him, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. So, in God's court, we are justified. We have escaped the penalty of sin. Right? Right. But we still have to live this life here on earth, which is sanctification. Mm -hmm. We can't do that. It's Christ in us that has to live that life. Right. He changes the heart. Well, that's where that battle comes in every day. The flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Those two are contrary to one another. I do what I don't want to do, but I don't want to do those are the things that I do. But what did Paul say at the end of his life? I am the chief of sinners. So he knew what it was like to have that battle reaching every day. And he doesn't mean we're, doesn't mean he wasn't saved. Because Paul was. He preached to the Gentiles. That was his call. And that kind of speaks to the works, doesn't it? Works. Absolutely. We can't do anything. When Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, he did it all. Right then and there. Right. We don't have to do anything. He said, our works are like filthy rags. Look that up. Right. Okay? Look that up. Yeah. Not a pleasant thing. Right. Not, not something that we can... There is a point at which we, we treasure things, but they're spiritual things and they're Christ. We treasure what Christ did for us. We treasure this great hope. And it's a hope. And, and we didn't see Jesus the other day and saw Him in His sacrifice to come to Christ. We heard it in the Gospel. The Gospel is a narrative that explains it to us. We take it in up here and when, when it changes, when God Chooses us? Question mark. <laughs> That's one of the doctors in here. He puts his arms around you and he changes you. Now I like I like this old story about a guy who is was a drug addict. And, you know, makes me think. Well, we should pray for these guys once in a while. His name is Dave, and he. Was a drug addict. He was in his house, the old house that gave him to stay in for the night, and he was railing out of God and telling him, "You, you this and you that," and just probably cursing God. He says, "You nothing. You can't do nothing. You can't help me at all." He fell asleep. When he fell asleep, think nothing of it. So he woke up. And he says his addiction, his desire for any kind of drug was gone. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, what, what happened? He said, I was yelling at God last night. He says, that God changed me. 
Who is he? And he looked up Hinduism. He looked at Buddhism. He started reading everything he get his hands on. And he finally got a chapter of John or a piece of the New Testament, one of the Gospels. And he said, that's the one. That's the one. It's, it's that. That's, it's Jesus. And he read 300 books the first year on Christianity. Until it soaked into his bones. Never looked back at another piece of drug or nothing. Never had any desire for it. Just it ended. Boom. He's a well-known guy. He went around this country showing shroud of Tehran. Just did everything he could imaginable for telling his story. He told his story. He wasn't ashamed of it. He was not ashamed of Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, there's a lot of people out there who have a, um, a desire to understand all of this all at once. Yeah, and read 300 books. He was been reading this King James book over and over. Mm -hmm. And a lot better off. The thing is, we should savor this. Take a little bit every day. Just savor it. And, and not necessarily know it all. Not understand it all. I'm pretty mad at fact tonight, but it doesn't mean I could, could have got some of it wrong. Just, I'm talking from what my heart taught me during this time, just reading some of the greater people that know this. Isaiah, see, he, he spoke out of Isaiah. He brought a lot of things, Paul brought a lot of Isaiah into the world. And he was he was um, using this legacy left behind by the Jewish people. He was using that. And I'm sure after a while, it's sort of like I said, Paul, guys are lost. And they've been coding this law around this books of the prophets around them. and uh, you too Paul and uh, so what's with that and is it the, the, the whole story is the gospel and Bodhi Bauman caught on that it's the gospel still the gospel always will be the gospel it's not going to change from the gospel you can't add on to it it's the gospel period and that was so refreshing that it makes it possible for a guy like me to understand simple words. Can you tell? This is the application. You did a nice application there, by the way. The application I'm weak on, but I, I say this. The application of the gospel message is, what is it? Can you write it down and say, what are the elements of the gospel message? usually falls into Christ. Died for us. In the grave for us. He forgave us for our sins. He resurrected. And He was glorified. He was glorified. And, uh, well, if you go to 1 Corinthians, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, okay, and you read 1 through 4, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, 
which also you receive in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. Right? Absolutely. He overcame death in the grave. For He was the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Thank you, God, for your indescribable gift. We need to do that ourselves. Just the one person. And you know what? We can kind of not do a super good job of it. But if we're enthusiastic, the rest of the, they'll get the rest of the story on their way home. No, it will come. It will come. And maybe they'll light up. Any other thoughts? Anything you want to add to it? For tonight. There's a lot here. Uh, trying to see I'm on time. I'm not too far off. But I think one of the things that we will look at in this chapter of 9 is that he's defending the Jewish people. Defending God's plan and is defending ultimately the gospel message. Nine will be the defense of everything that's come to us. And as we go through it, I'm sure there'll be more than that too. Also, let's go ahead and close. Father God, we thank you for for your book and this freedom in this country to read it for trying to understand some of these deeper uh, doctrines and dismiss your mystery. As you say in Proverbs 25 2, it's the glory of God to withhold the mystery. And it's the glory of kings to search it out. So we we're hum- we are really your humble servants. So we ask you to reveal your word bit by bit. Give us the strength and the fortification to use this armor word against evil. We will praise your name for that. Thank you for all that has been lifted up in the the people we brought to you tonight. We just ask you to bless them, keep them close to you. Thank you and ask you to keep us all safe until we meet again. In Christ's name, Amen. Thank you.